The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Can you imagine with me this morning what it must have been like to be the parents of the Son of God? What's running through your mind? Pressure, anxiety, maybe feelings of unworthiness? Questions of where do I start? What do I do? Where do I even begin? Formerly, people of not quite the highest status from the sleepy town of Nazareth, and now you're the parents raising the Son of the Most High. Wow. And the pressure has maybe led you to feel some shame that you couldn't even provide a a place for him to be born besides the home of animals. But then that roller coaster of being Jesus' parents really gets going. Because then all of a sudden, even if there was a little shame from that, the shepherds burst in and you forget it as they tell you the glorious news. They saw angels declaring glorious news. And the news was about your child that he was their Messiah, and they couldn't wait to come and see him, even in this humble abode. But yet, just about a week later, after that glorious night where rejoicing filled the air, you take your little baby to the temple for his purification, and you you can't even afford the normal lamb for his purification because you're so poor. For the Son of God, you had to do the poor man's offering of two doves, and again, you start to feel this shame. But again, it's quickly forgotten. The roller coaster goes on as this man named Simeon comes and picks up your child and says, My eyes have seen your salvation, God, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And then there's this woman named Anna who comes onto the scene thanking God for your child and proclaiming to everyone at the temple that that child came to save them. And then go just a couple years later, not even, and some really important, mysterious people come from a far-off land to see your child. All this reminding you just how important and how amazing your child really is. And not only do they visit, but they leave you with wealth and gifts that you've never seen in your entire lives. Maybe you can do this. Maybe it'll be all right. You lie down to get some rest after the Magi visit when suddenly Joseph Wake has a sudden dream of an angel, and normally that's been good news lately, but this time it's anything but. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
the roller coaster charges on. Just after all this excitement, when you felt like you were finally getting a handle on this, suddenly you have to get up in the middle of the night in a rush, heart beating out of your chest as Joseph goes to wake up Mary and they run in the middle of the night on a long and perilous journey with a fragile child, the most important child in history, and he's got a bounty on his head. Questions begin to run through your mind. What's going on? I thought this was the Savior, the King of Kings. And we have to run in the darkness from this worldly and wicked king that wants to kill him? This is chaos. And just when we thought we were going to get a handle on this, it all seems so out of control. But then you remember, on your long journey to Egypt, that this isn't the first time people of God have had to go to Egypt during chaos, during trouble. Last time it was during starvation and a famine for Jacob and his family, but God was with them. Even in that chaos, he called them out of Egypt. And maybe Joseph and Mary remembered that. Maybe they reassured each other through that. But one thing is certain, Matthew makes that connection for us. He tells us that all this, even in all the chaos, this was a fulfillment that out of Egypt God called his son. But you see, this was a profound connection Matthew and God is making for us here because before Jesus, no one would have read Hosea 11.1, 1, which is that quote, as prophecy. That was part of a section that was simply describing everything God did for his children Israel when he called them out of Egypt. So how does Jesus fulfill something that wasn't a prediction? We'll see this profound connection. Jesus is the new Israel, the better Israel, the perfect child. Because we know how that old child of Israel was. Rebellious, constantly doubting and questioning God after all his deliverance for them. They couldn't hold up under anything that even sniffed of suffering before complaining to him and doubting his control. And after 2,000 years, after many thousand years, more than that, has anything changed for God's people? Or do we still look around at our world and see Christians suffering and in pain every day, people persecuted and, and families losing loved ones and pain even during a holiday season, and we think, is it all out of control? And we doubt God, we question God, we wonder what his plan could be. Well, how beautiful the connection then that Jesus was the true Israel, the true Son of God, a better Son, a perfect Son in Israel's place. Because instead of how Israel always doubted, Jesus would go on to always trust. For all the times we question God, Jesus would quietly go about his mission perfectly for us. For all the times we question God's control and his plan, 
God perfectly did God's plan through Jesus. Everything Israel wasn't and everything we're not, Jesus was. The true Son of God we needed. The perfect Son. Mary and Joseph no doubt wondered what was going on in all this craziness, all this chaos, why this should be happening when they have the Son of God, that perfect Son. And this wasn't the only place that chaos was happening because in Bethlehem, perhaps even worse things were happening. Matthew writes, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. What was going on? Where was God? This, this doesn't sound like a place where the Savior of the world was born just less than two years ago. Where was all the rejoicing that filled those streets? Replaced with mourning? Utter chaos? Cries of murder of innocent children? What had God come to save them from if not from this? Yet even there, in the middle of that unimaginable pain and death, there was hope. And Matthew hints to us that hope through what he quotes. That quote about them weeping in Ramah is from Jeremiah 31. And that passage is really the only downer in a, in a section full of hope. Because all around this weeping, God is saying to his people, don't weep. See, at this time, they were going off into captivity because of their sin and because of their doubt of God's plan, as we so often do. And so there was, of course, weeping over God's children. But God said this to them, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. There was mourning and pain and captivity, yes, but God would bring them back. And they were to look at that and look forward to that with joy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. But what about here in Matthew 2? Where can we see the hope? in this pain and inconceivable loss. There's weeping, mourning, there's this worldly wicked king and his plan that seems to be winning, and everything seems out of control, and children are dying. How could God's plan be possibly winning? But then we remember, in all this, even in this, in Matthew 2, God was still in control. 
Even as the king of kings had to flee from a worldly king in the arms of his young parents who had hearts beating out of their chests as they ran away, God's plan was still done. God is so good that he takes chaos and evil and he turns it into something good. And he uses it for his own plan and purpose. Even in all the chaos and all this mourning and all this death, out of Egypt, he called his son. He was not surprised by any of it. Even though it's true that many children in Bethlehem had to die, and there was mourning that came along with it, and they died because a Savior, their Savior, just happened to be born in their town, yes, their lives were ended. But we know the child that they died in place of. We know what he came to do. That child they died in place of would grow up to die in their place. To save them from something far worse than this physical death and pain, but from eternal death and hell. The Savior they died for died for them that they could be saved for eternal life. Forever. So let's step back into Mary and Joseph's shoes for a moment. Now imagine that waiting in Egypt. When is that, when is it going to be safe to go back? And you're wondering, what do we do in the meantime? Is this really where the child is supposed to grow up? When will we be called home? But then the angel appears again in a dream, and this time it's back to good news. The one who is trying to stomp out the Savior's life has met an end himself, and they can return. But just as they're excited and, and thinking, all right, it's starting to turn up again, where, where things are looking good, they see who's ruling in wicked Herod's place, his wicked and maybe even more cruel son. And so just when it seemed like things were under control, it seems like at all, nothing's going according to plan again. But again, for the third time in our text this morning, just when it seems like everything is out of control, just when we would be questioning what's going on, what's going on in this chaos, how could God's plan be done? God was bringing about something beautiful in the middle of chaos, weeping and wondering. Jesus, the King of Kings, would be called a Nazarene. He wouldn't grow up in the place of kings in Jerusalem. He wouldn't even grow up closer by in Bethlehem, but he would grow up in a place of mockery, Nazareth, a place where people say things like, can anything good come from there? And so God is using this, this chaos to communicate something beautiful to us, to make this profound comparison of kings, the kings of this world bloodthirsty and wanting to do anything to further their agenda and to stomp out anything that stands in their way. But the king of kings, a savior, first and foremost, 
who knew what his rule would bring. Mockery, shame, scorn, and more. He was not some powerful king who used that power to take a powerful throne or to further what would make him seem like some great ruler. No, he came to face pain and scorn for us. And so, this protected child, this protected king, he's God's true son. He was called out of Egypt just as Israel was long ago. He did not doubt God or question him in the middle of his chaos and pain in his life, but went forward on his mission For all the times we didn't trust, he trusted perfectly. And even in the difficulty and chaos, he was obedient in our place. And in our place, he was murdered. Look and see what God does in chaos and weeping. And even wicked plans from wicked kings He protected his child so that he would be the son he always wanted, that we could never be, so that we could be his children forever. So what chaos is in your life? In what areas of your life are you struggling to see God's plan take shape? Where are doubts filling your mind? and pain filling your days. We still see people dying in snowstorms and hurricanes. We see people stranded and separated from family. Even at Christmas, we see wars continuing to rage. Yet even when a young couple fleed to a foreign land in the middle of the night, in the midst of chaos and death, God's plan was done. It was not all out of control. God called his child out of Egypt, and God brought him up to live in our place, to trust in our place, to be killed in our place, to face the sufferings we so often face and beyond and not question God in them, but drink his cup of suffering to the last drop. He even died our death so that we could be free from all this pain and chaos. That doesn't mean we'll see peace and perfection in the here and now, but what that does mean is that Since God's child was protected, he went on to make you God's protected children forever. So that you, just as he called his son from Egypt, could be called out of the pain and chaos of this broken world. Even as uncertainty abounds, your salvation is certain. You are God's protected children forever.
because for you, God protected his son. In Christ, amen.